New Testament book of Romans. What an incredible study it has been. You recall, if you've been with us in our study of Romans, as we open up this final section of Paul writing this letter to the Romans that is before us called the Book of Romans, that he is urging the believers to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our reasonable service. It's a letter written for us as well today. And we know that as we have come to the gospel, and Paul, of course, the theme of the book of Romans, he's writing about the gospel of Christ and our need for the gospel because we're all sinners. That Jesus Christ is the propitiation for our sins. The greatest need of any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin. And Jesus Christ, that's why he came and went to the cross. He died for you and for me. And he cried out, it is finished. He did the work. He paid the price. He was put into a tomb. He rose again after three days. And he validated what he did on the cross. He is truly the son of God who died for you. And always remember that he is our salvation. He is your salvation. And so the Lord desires for us to tell people the gospel, the truth of the gospel to others. And may we be like Paul that we say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. So once that we come to Christ through the, as he explained, the doctrine of justification being declared righteous comes by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And then he talked about justifi- uh, sanctification that is being set apart for him. The wonderful blessings and benefits of, of belonging to the Lord, that we have peace with God. We know we have access to God. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. That we can cry out as believers in Jesus Christ, uh, Uh, Abba, Father, because we have the spirit of adoption and there's no uh, separation from his love. So once we understand our position in Christ, Paul, now he says, I beseech you, I urge you that you be a living sacrifice to the Lord and you live for him because of the mercies of God in saving you and forgiving you and bringing you into right relationship with the Father. So let's pray before we continue. Father, we do come and as we are learning about how we can serve you and serve in the body of Christ, I ask that you would help us to be teachable and to know that every single one of us, you desire to use us, uh, that you call us and to be a blessing to others. And I ask and pray that you would touch our hearts with your word and in a very deep and very real way this morning. Help us be attentive and to remember to just check the last minute to, to check those phones, make sure ringers are off, because we want to be free to hear from you right now as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So as believers, we're told as we began chapter 12, you're not to be conformed or shaped or molded by the world. You're in the world, but you're not to be of the world. Be transformed by the renewing of our minds is what we are to do. So be submitted to God, focus on the things of God, continue to take in the word of God, and it will renew your mind. You'll have the right way of thinking. And as you do that, you're going to see that it's going to be worked out in your life. What is that good and acceptable? and perfect will of God. So now Paul, as we have continued, as he's writing to the Christians, keep in mind as he puts pen to parchment that he's moved by the Holy Spirit of God to write these things down. And first of all, as you are one that is saved by God, you are to live for God and serve God. Don't think of yourself, verse 3, more highly than you ought to think. Serve with humility. Live after the Lord with humility. Remember, it is by his grace that we are saved. And also remember, it's by his grace 
that we're called for service for God and for the body of Christ. And then Paul, as we began to look at last week in, in verses 4 and 5, he begins to talk about that we're all part of the body of Christ. So he, he speaks about the unity um, of the body of Christ. But then he speaks about there's diversity in the body of Christ. In other words, we're all members that make up this one body, and we are individual members that are gifted in different ways. We are gifted differently to serve in different functions within the body of Christ. And he likened it. He used the analogy of our own bodies, that our physical body is one, but there's many members of our bodies and, and our fingers and toes and eyes and ears and mouth, all the different parts are used to function to where our body can do what it's supposed to do. And it's the same in the body of Christ as we use the, the, the analogy in the spiritual level that we are individual members of the body of Christ. And now Paul talks about these gifts that God gives to the individual members to be worked within the body of Christ. Let's begin to look at that in verses 6 through 8 as we read, Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. Or ministry, let us use it in our ministering. He who teaches in teaching. He who exhorts in exhortation, he who gives with liberality, and he who leads with diligence, and he who shows mercy with cheerfulness. So we are reminded, as we talked briefly about this last week, that spiritual gifts are not given to you and to me on the basis of merit, how good and wonderful that I am, but it is according to the grace that is given to us, and that keeps you and I from becoming prideful from becoming one who thinks more highly of ourselves than we ought to. Now, when Paul was writing about spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells us that the Holy Spirit, he works all these things, distributing to each one, each believer individually as he wills. So God will gift us in these spiritual giftings according to his will and according, second of all, to his grace. And keep in mind that all of us are given spiritual gifts by his grace. In other words, God desires to use you and then empower you to live for him and to gift you to be in service for the Lord in the body of Christ. And I want to encourage you in that right off the bat because sometimes we can sit there. And there was a time when I first became a Christian <coughs> I thought, I don't have anything to offer. I can't be used as a blessing to benefit the body of Christ. What can I do? All of us have something to offer to give, and the Lord desires to gift us with spiritual giftings so we can function to be a, a blessing and a benefit in the body of Christ. And there's all different functions that take place in the body of Christ. So God will gift you, and you may be thinking, I don't know what that gifting is. Well, maybe as we go through this list of the gifts that are listed here, that you'll say, I think I have that gift, or uh, this is what's being worked out in my life. So I pray that it's an encouragement to you. And we know that these are not all the spiritual gifts that are listed in the New Testament. There are some listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 4, and 1 Peter chapter 4 as well. This list here primarily focuses on uh, what is called the serving gifts or the motivational gifts. And all of these gifts that we're going to look at 
are important and need to be exercised in the body of Christ. So Paul, first of all, he tells us in verse 6 that you've been gifted according to his grace and, and let us use them. In other words, the gifting that God has given to you, use it. Be used in the body of Christ. That's his desire for you. And then these giftings, first of all, in verse 6, if prophecy, let us prophesy in proportion to our faith. So the first gift mentioned here is the gift of prophecy. And usually when we hear that word prophecy, we think of it as in a foretelling in a predictive sense. But prophecy, as we learn from the New Testament, also it is foretelling the heart and mind of God, which may not include a predictive aspect. So the word here telling us in Romans chapter 12 that those who have the gift of prophecy then prophesy and do it in proportion to our faith. Now, that's important to remember. That word proportion means in right relationship. And faith here means, of course, what can be trusted. So any prophecy must be in right relationship to what we trust and what we believe as it is revealed to the body of Christ. So any prophecy, listen, this is very important, is to be tested by the word of God. So Paul telling us, if you have the gift of prophecy, then prophesy. It's needed in the body of Christ, but it is also to be tested by the word of God. John tells us, as you might recall in his epistle, that we are to test the spirits to see if they are over God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. We are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 3, that when the gift of tongues, it talks about in a corporate meeting or the gift of prophecy, that he who prophesies speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort to men. So prophecy as it is, uh, you know, foretelling the word of God, uh, given the mind and heart of God, is going to bring edification, comfort, and build up the body of Christ. And it is to be judged by the leadership. And the reason I mention that is because sometimes I'll get, for example, over the years of ministry, I remember getting, and this has happened a few times, uh, letters from somebody. I don't know who they are. They've never been here before. And the letter will go something like this. I was up one night, and, and all of a sudden the Lord woke me up, and the Spirit of God was heavy on me, and I was weeping all night long. And, and he gave me these words to speak to you. And one time it was a 20-page handwritten letter of somebody who did that. And they said, here's the word of the Lord to you. You brood of vipers, how can you escape the judgment of God to come upon you and you fornicators and all this? And, and it's like, this isn't from the Lord. And when I was young in ministry, when I got something like that, it kind of scared me. I was looking over my shoulders thinking, when's the you know, fire and brimstone going to come? But I've come to realize that it's usually from somebody who's mad and wants to vent. And I don't know who they are, never met them. They don't know anything about our church. And, and so it's not edifying. It's not comforting. And it sure isn't building up the body of Christ. So I end up filing things like that, kind of wadding it up and throwing it in the trash. So if somebody, you know, does that, we can test it. And the reason that I tell you that is because we are instructed to do that. We test it according to the word of God. And if somebody utters a prophecy where it's in a predictive sense, we know that the Bible says that it must 
must come to pass, 100% true. And there have been those who have come along over the years of ministry again, coming to me and say, you know, thus saith the Lord, this is what's going to happen in this event and these things, and it doesn't come to pass. Now, who made a mistake? Did the Lord make a mistake? He did not make a mistake because he doesn't make mistakes. That person made a mistake and they did not hear from the Lord. There have been those who have come along and they've said, you know, uh, I'm a prophet and I got a message and it's just weird. It's weird and it doesn't line up with the word of God. It does not line up with the heart and mind of God. There have been those who have come along to give a word to me and it's like, you know, that, that, was, that touched me. That, that was good. You know, my spirit really, you know, really receives that. And, and you know the Lord is just speaking to you. So we don't want to dismiss it, but also we want it to be wise, especially in the day in which we're living in. You know, Travis was talking about during worship about how many cults have risen up and, and false uh, teachings and things in the day that we're in. It's so hard to keep track of it. And it usually starts by somebody coming along and saying, I'm a prophet of God and I have this new revelation. And I have this new teaching. I'm a prophet of God. And it, it fools people because they don't have the discernment to test it to see if it's really of God. And that's what we are to do, to be wise, to be ones that's testing those things and to be discerning. And, and so, uh, especially in this day where the new apostolic reformation movement is so big and there are those who are saying we're super prophets and apostles and we have authority over the pastors and going in the churches and saying that I'm the prophet and I should be able to interrupt the service at any time and come up and get a prophetic utterance and all of that. And, and we know that, that we, that's a lesson for another time. Uh, there's somebody that once said to me, I, I just met him, you know, after two minutes of talking with them, they said, you know, I'm prophet of God and God's called me to be the prophet of this church. And I should be able to interrupt a service at any time and come up and speak. And it's, it's like, listen, if you want to be the prophet of the church, go ahead. It's not of this church, though. Go somewhere else and do it. So be wise and discerning because many ministries have really suffered greatly because they've received prophecy that wasn't true. But again, it's a gift that's used in the body of Christ. We can test it and we can receive it when it edifies, when it encourages. Uh, we want to be open to it as well. Second gift, ministry. Let us use it in our ministry. The second gift is, is ministering or the gift of service. Uh, it just simply means ministering in practical ways. It's the ability to serve the body of Christ in, in very practical ways. Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 4 concerning this gift, if anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies, then in all things that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. And I think that the gift of service is one of the most edifying gifts in the body of Christ. I also believe it's one of the most important gifts in the body of Christ. In Acts chapter 9, you read about a woman named Tabitha. She was a sewer of garments. And, and it tells us she was full of good works and sewing garments for people and being a blessing to them. And she blessed the saints greatly. She ended up dying and they sent for Peter. And when Peter shows up, here are all these, these ladies and all these Christians, the body of Christ, they're, they're mourning for her because they missed her and they're holding the garments and they're showing it to Peter and Peter would raise her from the dead. But it was a tremendous blessing to the body of Christ. When I first became a Christian, I thought to be involved in ministry that it was only reserved for professional clergy. 
That was just the view that I had of ministry. But when I began to really understand the true meaning of the word, that ministry is serving, serving in practical ways. Sometimes people ask me, how did you get started in ministry, Pastor Jeff? I did it by just serving. I remember being a part of the, the small Calvary Chapel that had started down in Colorado Springs and this church of 100 people, 150 people or whatever. And I would come in and I would clean the church and clean the bathrooms. I'd sweep the sidewalks. I'd shovel the sidewalks in the wintertime. I, I went shopping for, you know, the pastor uh, because so he could study and get ready for services. Um, I, I, I would, you know, go and get the supplies and clean supplies and, you know, fishies for the kids or whatever it was. And I just enjoyed doing that. And, and um, I, I flowed in that. It, it was something that uh, the Lord just allowed me to be able to do. And I am so blessed today that so many here in this church that you minister in very practical ways. Uh, you make meals for somebody. You come in and you clean, you mow the lawn, you shovel the sidewalks, you fix things. We got guys that are so handy with their, their hands. They're electricians and plumbers and, and um, maintenance guys. And they, they fix things when things break in the building here. And we have that constantly going on. Amazing some of the guys, your talents and gifts and a blessing that you are as, as you work on different things. Those who make the coffee and those who set up tables. When we have vacation Bible school, you know, there's going to be hauling all the stuff there and setting it up and then tearing it down and taking it back and then the next day setting it back up and, and all the practical things that need to be done. Serving and helping people in the body of Christ. Some of you are mechanics. Some of you help in fixing people's cars. I hear things taking place all the time and just serving people in very practical ways. You have the gift of ministry. Use that gift, and that gift is very important. You keep on ministering, keeping a blessing to the body of Christ. The next gift that's listed in verse 7, he who teaches in teaching. The gift of teaching is simply making clear the word of God. To be one that can read the passage to others, explain the passage, and to give application of the passage for our daily lives. I think that Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 8, gives us the best definition of the gift of teaching. We read, so they read distinctly from the book in the law of God. They gave the sense and helped them to understand the reading. Now, this is the gift of teaching. It is not the gift of entertainment. It is not the gift of storytelling. It is not the gift of telling jokes. And it is not the gift of sweating. When I first started teaching and I felt called to teach, that was intimidating to me. Uh, I felt like, Lord, are you sure you want me to do this? And it was a difficult thing for me to do. And I think I shared last week just for a moment that the first time that I ever taught behind the pulpit, that someone came up to me and said, I didn't understand a word you said. And it devastated me. Because I stuttered and stammered through the whole thing. And I remember thinking, I will never teach again. I will never get behind the pulpit. And I will never teach again. And the Lord really had to minister to me. And, and speak to me. And, and I came to realize that God chooses the foolish things of the world. To put down the strong. And put down the, the wise 
he uses the weak things of the world and the things that are not to bring to not the things that are that no man will glory in his presence. And I am so grateful for that. And as, you know, I, I began to, to think about teaching and started teaching, the other mistake that I made was I began to look at other teachers. And I used to think they're so dynamic and they speak so wonderfully and the oratory skills and uh, I made the mistake of watching Christian TV and these guys, you know, and uh, all the razzmatazz and running across the platform and waving the handkerchiefs and getting people all worked up. I thought, that's not in me to do that. Maybe I'm not called to teach. And the Lord got through to me that I haven't gifted you and called you to do that at all. But what I have called you to do in teaching is to study a passage, to give understanding, and to give application to what it means to people in their daily lives. And if I can communicate that to you by his calling, by his gifting, that's the gift of teaching. Some of you here, you have the gift of teaching. You're exercising the gift of teaching in different studies here in the body. Maybe to the children, it's so important. To the youth, lady studies, young adults, you know, discipling, uh, firm foundation, just, just teaching in different ways, giving people understanding and application to let them grow in the knowledge of the Word of God. And, and, and it's interesting. I kind of feel bad for young guys that are in the ministry to, today that are desiring to teach behind the pulpit because there's a lot of things out there that can distract them. And there's a lot of emphasis on the method of teaching. Uh, I get information every single week. I could go to a conference every single week of the year, and these are large conferences that attract thousands of, of pastors and how you can teach dynamically, how you, you know, can teach in this way to get the attention of the people. You know, th these are the buzzwords that you use. This is even how you dress, the glasses that you should have, how your stage is set up and the lights and all of this. And there's so much an emphasis on the method and, and all of that and presentation that they forget that it needs to be primarily on the message of what is being given in the Word of God. You know, we can grow in that ministry. We do in the gift of teaching. We grow and develop, and, and no question about that. But it comes by studying. And Paul, when he instructed Timothy, he said, Timothy, that you be a workman who need not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. It takes discipline and a student of the Word of God and allowing the Lord to minister to you and pray through the teaching. But sometimes, again, we get so focused on the method and presentation that we forget that it is a message that we are to give to people, to give them understanding and application. It is a gift and enabling of the Holy Spirit. And I am so thankful for Calvary Chapel. I am so thankful for the simple teaching of the Word of God. The example of my pastor through the years, Pastor Chuck Smith, who has gone home to be with the Lord, that he set for me in just feeding the sheep. Make sure they're the best fed and best loved sheep, your congregation, in your community. And that's the vision he gave to us. And he was faithful in taking his congregation through all of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation and set that example for us. And in my opinion, and it's just that, 
Take it for what it's worth. I believe one of the greatest needs in the body of Christ is just the simple teaching of the Word of God systematically, and that is being lost in the church. The teaching of the Word of God, and you've heard me say this before, if you are not a student of the Word of God, and if you are not growing in the Word of God, you will get deceived. Because there's too many voices that are out there that will lead you astray. And it is the way for us as we study the Word of God where we will grow and mature and we will be strengthened. So the gift of teaching. Hey, use it if you got that gift. And then verse 8, he who exhorts an exhortation. This is an extremely important gift in the body of Christ. Now the one who has the gift of exhortation will encourage others, not tear others down, Hey, you're being used of the Lord to, to encourage, to exhort others to action. And oftentimes, we need that. I know I need that uh, in the body of Christ. One who exhorts is going to apply the truth of God to an individual in their walk, in their service to God. So teaching is instructing, right? Giving understanding. While exhortation encourages people to practice what they have been taught. And both can work in harmony in the body of Christ in a very beautiful and a very special way. Those who take in instruction but never give out, what can happen is, is that we can become sluggish and apathetic. Those who are exhorted and not taught, there can be a lot of excitement in activity, but oftentimes they can work in wrong ways. So exhortation means stirring people on to live for Christ, to serve Christ, to step on in faith and what he's put on your heart according to truth, according to the call of God in your life. It's not the gift of being pushy. It's not the gift of, you know, you need to do this. It's not the gift of making people feel guilty. It is the gift of exhortation. And I think you know what that is. When somebody gives you a word and they just exhort you and it's like, yes, Lord, you're exhorting me. Uh, I've, you've been speaking to me through your word. You're exhorting me to step out. You're speaking to my heart. And you see, that's one of the reasons, again, that I don't want to manipulate you. I don't want to, to you know, make you feel guilty and pound the pulpit. You need to do this. You need to do that. Listen, I want to exhort you. There is no greater joy than knowing the Lord and loving him and no greater joy than serving the Lord. And wherever he has placed you, the gifts he's given to you and opportunities that you have. And he's all, you know, called us to do something in, in different places and different seasons of our lives. I want to exhort you to step out in faith, to do those things, to allow the Lord to work through you as he works in you. So if the gift of exhortation is needed, then in verse 8, he says, he who gives with liberality. You give with simplicity. Now, God desires, as we see it throughout the scripture, for all of us to give. And we are to give, according to 2 Corinthians, that we are to give cheerfully. We are to give freely. We are uh, to give in that way. But there's a special touch of God on a person's life to give. And they give with no special applause or recognition or strings attached or, again, being manipulated. Unfortunately, there's a lot of churches that will manipulate and push and make you feel guilty if you don't give. And we don't want to give in that way. By the way, if you get anything on social media that has my picture on it, 
um, that says, you, you know, that I want you to give, uh, that's not from me. And that's happened to me recently and some of us guys in the Calvary chapels that are on the radio. You can know it's not from me because I'm not going to ask you for money. In 23 years, I've never asked for money. I've never asked for money here. Because I believe, as you know, where God guides, he provides. And I want you to give freely. I want you to give cheerfully. I want you to give as the Lord leads you. And for you to know that God wants you to give. And there are those that are in this church. I don't see what you give. I see the final numbers. But what you give is between you and the Lord. And those records are kept away from me. So I don't come along and, and have, you know, um, you know, you know, I prefer somebody or, um, you know, it, it affects the way that I make decisions or anything. Listen, I don't want to have preference or whatever because somebody gives more and that happens in churches as well. I want you to give freely without strings attached. I want you to give to the ministry because the Lord's put it on your heart and you're going to be rewarded. You have an account in heaven. And Paul, when he was talking to the Philippian church, he says, thank you for giving. And it's put on your account. You have a spiritual account. And God's going to bless you and reward you. And we get to see the kingdom of God move forward. There have been those who have given a special touch of giving that we can be on the radio. We are reaching so many people with the radio. To, to be able to, to help send a group of young adults to Peru here in a few weeks that are going to be you know, ministering to young people there in Peru and giving the gospel. To be able to support Jamie over in Europe that's ministering there. To be able to do so much. And it's a blessing to be able to give. And some of you have that special gift of giving. And you love to give. And we love to give here at the church. And, and we are finding out we cannot out give God that the more that we give and reach out and give Bibles and give away CDs that are free and, and everything that we can do to minister to people we're finding out we cannot outgive God and you will find out the same thing so you have the gift of giving we're all to give but that special touch what a blessing it is that I can be here we can keep the lights on we can keep ministering keep on the air Get the equipment that we need and to, to reach young people with social media, whatever the case may be. So keep giving. Keep giving knowing that the Lord's going to bless you. He who leads is the next gift in verse 8 with diligence. There are those who have the gift to be a leader, to be able to be in a church or a group and lead, making sure that what needs to be done gets done and say, okay, this needs to be done. This needs to be taken care of to administrate, to delegate. They make sure that things are get, getting done decently and in order. The person who is exercising this gift, it will be exercised in a way that people will respond to their leadership. This gift will be exercised, listen, with humility by one who is a true servant, not a tyrant, not a know-it-all, not a self-appointed leader, but that leadership is just manifested in a very godly and humble and effective way to those in the body of Christ who will follow. In other words, when it's time for somebody to step forward, the Lord will speak to them and say, step forward and begin to lead. A great example of that in the scripture, of course, is Moses, who led 
two and a half million people for 40 years in the wilderness. Uh, a, a great example of that is Joshua after that that led the children of Israel into the promised land. Uh, I think of David. I love to look at David, who was a great warrior, a great administrator. David and his mighty men. His mighty men followed him even in the most difficult of times. Paul the Apostle is another example of the touch of God in giving the gift of leading. The early church greatly benefited by Paul's leadership and, and a true model of what it is. But notice here that we are told that those who lead do it with diligence. Keep leading. Don't avoid it. Don't quit. Don't get lazy. Don't get discouraged because any of you that have led in any way, whether it's leading your family, moms and dads, or at work, or in the body of Christ, there are times where we can get tired. And there are times where it gets hard. And Satan, he makes us a target, a big target. And he will try to discourage us and come against us. And there will be people that will come along and undermine you. And they can really begin to wear on you. But he says, do it with diligence. Lead with diligence. Stay the course. Don't quit. Don't give up, but you keep doing it. And then the last gift mentioned in verse 8, this morning as we get ready to close, he who shows mercy with cheerfulness, showing mercy. Mercy means not getting what we deserve. It is the gift of mercy. It is showing sympathy and compassion when others say they deserve worse or they got coming to them what you know needed to come. There are some people that exercise this gift and they do it, listen, with cheerfulness. Sometimes I know that I need to show mercy. Sometimes I can kind of grit my teeth, kind of murmur a little bit about it. We need people with the gift of mercy. Those who are merciful, they do it with cheerfulness, not I told you so attitude. So this concludes the gifts of the Spirit that are listed here in Romans chapter 12. Again, they're not all the, the, the gifts. It's not a complete list. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, Ephesians chapter 4, um, gifts that are, are given. And 1 Corinthians, they are the gifts listed there, what are called the sign gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, miracles, uh, gifts of healings, word of knowledge, wisdom, and, and, and so forth as you read that list. But I want to remind you of a couple things. Number one, number one is this. God wants to gift you. And you may be here thinking, I think I got this gift. Or I don't know what my gifting is. You keep growing. Keep renewing your mind. Keep growing in the Lord. And as I said last week, he will supernaturally, naturally work those things into your life. How is it that you're wired? What are you flowing in? What's happening in your life? Sometimes we use these gifts. We don't even know that we're using them or God is working them in. And as we pray about it, Lord, I want to be gifted. He will show it to you and he will reveal it to you and be open for him to work it through you in your life. But second of all, this is very important as we conclude here. Don't tune out on me. The greatest gift is the gift of love. And whatever gift that you're exercising in the body of Christ is to be done with love. Because Paul, when he was writing in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he goes through all those gifts, but then he says, I'm going to show you a more excellent way. 
And in chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, many of you, you know the chapter. He writes, though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I've become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, understand all mysteries, all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I can remove mountains, but have not love, I have nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, that is the gift of giving. And though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. The gift of the Spirit is love. And the greatest gift is love. And Paul in this chapter, as we continue, is going to say this. That you can sum up all the law in one word. And that is with love. So remember this. As we exercise these gifts, it is to bring glory to him. It is Paul that says that it's the love of Christ that motivates me, constrains me. We do it for our love for Christ and our love for others. And if we're not doing it in that way, I can be a great, great teacher, but if I'm not loving the people and loving God, then it means nothing. I'm a clanging symbol. If I'm doing the gift of, of ministering or whatever gift, and it's not done in love, then it means nothing. It profits us nothing. So do it with love, the greatest gift of all, and you will see that God will use you in a way that is exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you for uh, these few verses that are important for us to understand. And, Lord, I do pray this morning that we would have a desire to use those gifts that you've given to us in the body of Christ. But I, I do want to pray because maybe you're here, you're listening to this message um, online or maybe later on the radio, and you're thinking, well, uh, what is all this spiritual gifts? You're not a believer. This isn't going to apply to you until you come to the gospel, until you come to Christ. So this is for believers in the body of Christ that have been saved and forgiven, have right relationship with the Father. And the invitation is given to you for you to come and be saved. Paul writes that the gospel is available for you. And the greatest need for any man or any woman is to be forgiven of sin because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And the wages of sin is death. You've been separated from God because of sin. All of us were. But that's why Jesus Christ came and died on that cross for you and shed his blood. He cried out, it is finished. I've done the work. I've made propitiation, the satisfaction for the sins of mankind. All of our sins placed upon Jesus on that cross. Your sins. He died for you because he loves you. And he's made a way of forgiveness. He was put into a tomb. He rose again. He's alive. He's alive. He validated what he did on the cross. He proved he's the son of God. He is your savior. He is the only savior that there is. The savior of the world. And he's calling you to salvation. To call out to him. This world is not your hope. A church is not your hope. Only Jesus is. Will you call out to him? Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever believes in his heart the Lord Jesus and confesses with his mouth that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the invitation is to come. Will you give your life to Jesus if you've never done that? And you will be born again in a new creation and your sins will be forgiven and you'll have relationship with the Father because Jesus said, I am the way to the Father because I am the way, the truth, and the life. Call out upon the Lord 
right now. It's the most important decision that you will ever make. And you can pray, I come to you, Lord. And I believe you died for me. You're speaking to my heart. Forgive me of my sins. I want this to be my gospel. Be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe in you, Jesus. I call out to you. I believe you're alive. And I ask that you sit upon the throne of my life. And I thank you for for this message. I thank you for dying for me and making me new. Being born again and forgiving me. And I want to know you and walk with you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And as we have the prayer team up front.